Let's give it up for these guys. Go ahead. I, uh, I've said this many times uh, before, I will say it many times again, that we don't look at children around here as just the church of the future. We believe they're the church of today. And the investment we make in their lives uh, makes a difference now, and it certainly will make a difference later. Uh, the ripple effect of that will go on into eternity. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about, we're watching that, that uh, Tiffany, the lady who led worship this morning, she used to be in Laura's small group in Adventureland. So that's the difference you guys can make in, in the life of a child. One of the things we say around here at East Point is that we try not to just recruit to fill a need. We don't say, we need you, need, we need, need, need. We, we don't try to just fill a need. What we try to do, our goal is to help you discover your God-given purpose, your gifts, your call, and to help you uh, discover that and, and equip you to serve in whatever area that is. That's our intent. That's our purpose is we want to help you discover what God's created you to do. And we believe that. And some of you are called. You're gifted. You are a natural with kids. Uh, you just know how to love them. They feel comfortable with you. And you need to be involved in, in Vigilant on a regular basis, maybe every week. Let me say this, though, that we're also a family. And family cares for family. I grew up, uh, you know, in, in a family with three uh, siblings. And not one of us would ever tell, I never told my dad, I'm called to do the dishes, dad. He never heard that from me. Uh, Dad, it's my gift. I want to just mow the lawn. It's what I was made to do. We didn't, you know, that wasn't, didn't happen. And in the four kids I had in my family, they never said that to me either. But as a family, a family cares for family. And so there are those who are called, and that's your thing. And we want to help equip you to become superstars in Adventureland, and you'll be a regular invest, investor in the lives of children. And many of you do that now, and thank you for that. But all of us, listen, all of us, we care for the family. And especially if you're a parent, uh, we look at Adventureland as a co-op, and what we ask is that at least once a month that you serve in Adventureland with your kids, and trust me, they'll love it. It's not until they get to like junior high that they don't want to be around you. Younger children get a kick out of mom and dad in the class. They'll see you there. You model for them what it means to be a servant. So if a parent uh, is involved, it makes a huge difference, and we encourage all parents to sign up, but all of you at some level, can make a difference in the life of a child in service. So you got one of these when you came in today. It's got the Adventureland logo on one side. The other side says, says want, to want to find out more about Adventureland. This is not a contract. This is not you signing on the dotted line in blood. This is you saying, I'd like to know more about what I might be able to do. And if you'll fill that out, you can drop it off at the table, out in the lobby, or in the black boxes when you leave today. That would be awesome because I want to encourage you to do so. Uh, one other thing I want to mention before we get into Philippians today and wrap the series up. Uh, these books uh, are important. Uh, we start two weeks from today, uh, 50 Days of Transformation. It's an eight-week series we're going to do here at East Point that I'm extremely excited about. It's going to be awesome. I think it'll be one of the most powerful things we've done. Along with the series on Sunday morning, uh, this, this book, it's a leather-bound book. It's got it's 50 Days of Transformation. It's got 50 Days of Devotions in here, a place for you to make personal notes and thoughts and insights. Uh, it's got a place for you to do goals. It's got a place for notes that you can take uh, Sunday morning and in small groups. And uh, John mentioned that right now we are uh, doing the host orientation over the coffee chapel. If you missed that announcement, you can run over there now. Or next week, this service, 11 o'clock, is our makeup session for hosting. So if you want to host a group or you'd like to get involved or you've already signed up to do so, you'll need to go to that orientation. So uh, two weeks we start the series, and then the week after that, We'll start small groups, transformed life groups. And we, my goal is to see every one of you involved in a transformed life group. But you're going to need one of these. So we sold out last week. It was awesome. 150 of them, boom, they're out the door. Somebody said, well, I got one for my family. It's not going to work. 
this is a personal devotional place for you to actually play. What did God speak to you today? What did you think? What did you learn? You know, and you have opportunity to journal in this, so you'll want your own, and they're available in the back. I know we have some left over still. All right, Philippians, wrapping it up today. We're in Philippians chapter four. If you've got your Bible or your Bible app, turn to Philippians, the fourth chapter. If you're new to the Bible, it's way back in the New Testament. Go to the table of contents. Don't be embarrassed. Find which page it is on and go to Philippians, the fourth chapter. And, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, we mention this uh, often. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a Bible at home, they're on the racks uh, along the doors, by the wall, on the wall by the doors. Please pick one of those up. Take it home as our gift to you because we want you to have the Word. Well, before we get into Philippians 4, and as you're looking for that, um, let me just tell you a little story. Years ago, my wife and I uh, were in Portland, Oregon. I pastored a church there almost seven years. Uh, came uh, to the church. It had about 60 people in it. About six weeks later, I grew that church up to six people. It was awesome. That's, it was really not so much fun. But uh, it was a transitional church. And it was a reboot. And we stepped in. And for quite a while, for several years, we were really poor. Uh, it, it, to say that we lived on a shoestring would be an understatement. We didn't have a lot. And we did... Uh, there was a parsonage, and so we didn't have to pay rent, which was nice. The house, housing was provided. Well, let me tell you about the parsonage. It was right next door to the church building, which was built in the Second World War and, and, and had all its own issues. But the house was an 1,100-square-foot old farmhouse that um, had some issues. And one of them was, anybody ever been to Portland before? It rains there quite a, quite a bit. Um, when it rained in Portland, depending on how much rain we had, it would get two to six inches of water in the so-called basement. Could use the basement for anything, uh, except maybe store things up a little higher. You know, can you spell mold? I mean, it was, it was bad. And I'm not kidding. Two to, I had put a sump pump down there just to empty it out so that it wouldn't be constantly wet down there. Uh, when the wind blew, uh, yeah, it blows in, you know, along the gorge there. And when the wind blew, it blew so hard. I'm not making this up. Uh, you ask my wife. She never exaggerates. I have the gift of exaggeration sometimes. But when the wind blew so hard, it would, not, you could, it would blow through the house. You'd see the curtains move. Always drafty, always cold, and we lived in that home for five years because we just didn't have money to do anything else. I will be honest with you. For about the first four and a half years, we really struggled. We were not content. What we're talking about today is contentment, and that's not what we experienced at all. In fact, it wasn't until we began to say, okay, God, if you want us to spend the rest of our life, by the way, we had four kids, one bathroom, uh, 11, you, know, you get the picture. God, if this is what you want for us, we began to learn contentment right there. And then it was about six months later that we actually were able to move. Poverty, struggling, dealing with, you know, lack of resources is something that most of us have gone through at some point in our lives. And lots of people in our country are there right now. In fact, depending on which source you use, somewhere between 40 and 50 million, million people live at or below the poverty level in the United States today. 40 to 50 million people at or below the poverty level. And so lots of us, some of you are there now, lots of us have been there. Maybe you grew up and you were very poor as a kid. I, we were dirt dog poor at, at the home I grew up in. Maybe you were a college student and you're poor. I never met a wealthy college student. You know, maybe you were poor in college. Maybe, you know, years later, you're working, but life threw you a curveball and you lost your job or you lost your health or something tra you know, traumatic happened and it cost you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and you ended up maybe bankrupt and poor. A lot of us have experienced that. We get that. And you've been where I was, you know, struggling with contentment because you don't have enough. The flip side of that, the other extreme, are those who live in relative affluence. Uh, they may have great abundance and great wealth. And, and yet, it's interesting. I have known wealthy people who have everything that you and I probably would want 
any given day of the year, and yet they're not content. They still wrestle with this issue of contentment. They may be rich in material possessions, but poor to things that really matter. And so here's the big idea today. It's in your outline. It's not what you have or don't have. It's not whether you have nothing or a lot. It's not what you have or don't have that leads to joy. It's learning. Key word, we're going to unpack that today. It's learning to be content no matter what. It's learning. The key here is learning to be content. With that in mind, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but no, but you didn't have opportunity to show it. Paul's talking about their financial support of his ministry. Verse 11, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned, first time he mentions this, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, dirt dog poor, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, second time he mentions this, I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do, verse 13, it really is the key verse in this passage today. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do everything. I can do all this through Christ, through him who gives me strength. Verse 14, yet it was good for you to share my troubles. Thank you, he says, for helping me. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when you first started in this journey of faith, he said, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. I mentioned before, I think the first week, that one of the reasons why Paul has such deep affection and a friendship with this church is because they st st uh, stepped up. They supported him and helped him time and time again. So he said, nobody else did except you only. Verse 16, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17, not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. By the way, I love the name Epaphroditus. I've never met an Epaphroditus, but I just like saying the word Epaphroditus. It's like my kids know, my grandkids, but my favorite word in the, I love a hippo book, says hippopotamus. It's another, isn't that a great word? Hippopotamus. And this is another, I don't know, I'm completely off track here. Where am I? Epaphroditus, the gifts you sent. They are, and I love this. He says, they are a fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God, he says, will meet all. Love that, all your needs, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he wraps this up, the last few verses. Verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me, send greetings. All God's people here, he's in Rome, in prison, remember, he's, he's in house, under house arrest, they send you greetings, especially, love this part, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The very guy that's killing Christians and not doing, you know, nice things to Christ followers, his, Paul had influence that brought some of his household into the faith. It's awesome. Verse 23, last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. The Apostle Paul is concluding his letter by thanking them. Again, this, the whole letter is sprinkled with joy and rejoicing and thankfulness and affection for these guys. But he's definitely wanting to make sure, I am so grateful. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your care and concern. Thank you for your sacrificial gifts that made uh, what I do possible. That's what he's saying. And he reminds them in verse 18 that their gifts were a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. He gives a word picture here that really is very, very profound, especially for those that were Jews who would offer a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord, and, and the aroma would bless God. But he says, your offering, your gifts, your financial support was a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, 
pleasing to God. I just want to pause here and say thank you. Uh, this is not a plea for anything except an opportunity for me to say thank you. Uh, we're 14 years old as a church this January, and uh, I, many of you have sacrificed a great deal. We, we, as a church, we don't have outside support. We're not a denomination. We don't have people who, who we don't get government grants. This church is what it is and has what it has because of you, because of your gifts, because of your sacrifice. And I just want to say thank you, because just like Paul said to the church in Philippi, I want you to hear this, your gifts, a fragrant offering to God, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to him. But Paul also reminds them of this kingdom principle, taught elsewhere as well in the Bible, that God is faithful and that God, verse 19, will meet all your needs according to his riches, the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. In context here, what Paul is saying is you have faithfully given to God and God is faithfully going to take care of you. You have blessed God and God will bless you. In fact, the principle that's taught throughout the scriptures is that you can't outgive God. Now, we don't give to somehow earn from God. It's not, you know, because we are obligated. But the fact of the matter is, and this is taught again and again and again, that we cannot outgive him. And Paul says, God's going to meet all your needs. You've blessed me and God will bless you. But the main idea here, this gem of truth in this passage that Paul's communicating is contentment. Some things that he learned. And so let me give you a couple truths about contentment. Here's number one in your outline. Contentment is something we learn in spite of our circumstances. Contentment is something that you and I learn. It's not something that comes natural. We learn it. And we learn it in spite of the difficult things we might be going through. Verse 11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Paul says, I, I've been in process. I've been developing this. This is something that has become more and more reality in my life. You see, let me just make something clear. Did you know that contentment is not a gift of the Holy Spirit? There are gifts that God gives to us, and he just says, boom, here's a gift of faith, or here's a gift you know, of, of, of encouragement. And God just gives us these gifts. Often he does that. But contentment is not a gift of the Holy Spirit. We can't just say, God, give me the gift of contentment. It's something we have to learn and develop. Another thing that's true about us is that for most of us, contentment is not our natural disposition. We, we, we don't get, get born on this planet with the natural ability to be content. Have you ever known a two-year-old? Not naturally given to contentment. And, and that's a struggle for some 20 and 50 and you know, older-year-olds as well. It's not something that comes naturally. We've got to develop it. We've got to learn it. Contentment is a learned practice. That's the point. It's the ability that we develop. It's, it's something that we learn, and we adapt in a healthy and godly way to the circumstances around us. When I was a kid, true story, uh, my mama can tell you that I, uh, I was one of those weird kids that loved the dictionary. And I've always had fascination with words. Maybe that's why I love to write. But I, uh, I had a dictionary on the back, on the tank, on the toilet. True story. So I would... I would I won't go any more detail into what I was doing while I was reading, but I would sit there sometimes way too long with my dictionary and just read words. I was just fascinated with words. I've always been that way. And I looked up the word contentment this week, and it's this cool word. It really has this great meaning. Here's the definition right out of the dictionary. Contentment is to have rest of mind. Oh, that's good. I thought it was good. Do you think it's good? Okay, it's good. To have rest of mind. Satisfaction. Freedom from worry. Talked about worry last week. Not inclined to complain or desire something more or different than what one has. It's a great word. But let me give you the Bubna definition right here. Contentment is where we, rather than wrestle with our circumstances, we rest. Rather than wrestle, we rest. 
rest of mine. It's very important here that you understand that Paul didn't learn contentment in a vacuum. He learned it through all that he experienced. Where do we get that from? Well, you read a story in Acts. You read, last night I read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, a description of some, some of his story. But here's what he said in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wouldn't that be cool to say that about your life? I've learned the secret of being content no matter what. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's saying that through the reality of his life, what he experienced, that's where he learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. You see, over time and through practice, we grow. One of our values here, one of our purposes is to help you grow. And we grow in our faith, and we grow in our trust of God, and we grow in our awareness and understanding of his goodness. And can I suggest to you something that you won't like to hear? That we grow best in that when we are in the lean and hard times. Hello. We learn more about God's goodness and faithfulness. We learn more about him through the times that we really would rather not go through. Those times where we're struggling through the hard, the bad, the ugly, those things that stretch us and our confidence. And that's where our, our faith is built in God. That's where we're developed and matured to become like him. How many of you would love to go through more trials in your life? Yeah, most of us would say, yeah, you're an idiot. Why would I want to say yes to that? The fact of the matter is, though, that's where we grow, guys. Someone once said, it's a great quote, maturity is never more evident in the life of a Christian than when they possess the quality of contentment. Maturity is never more evident in the life of a Christ follower than when they possess the quality of contentment. Now, there are a lot of other things that ought to mark our lives as Christ followers. Faith, love, mercy, all those things need to mark our lives, absolutely. But what we don't think about that often, but absolutely is true, is that as Christ followers, if, we, if he is our all in all and everything we need is found in him, then shouldn't we of all people be the most content people on the planet? Now, I wish. Wouldn't it be cool if we were born, uh, you know, emotionally and spiritually mature? Wouldn't it be great that when you become a Christian, that immediately, boom, every problem you have goes away, every bad quality, characteristic you have in your life goes away, that you become this amazing spiritual giant. Wouldn't that be awesome if that just happened overnight? I think it would be cool. Make my job, in fact, I wouldn't be necessary. Make it really easy if we all were that way. But here's the truth. We struggle. We fight. We, we have to grow. It is a process of development. We're not born that way. Not born into this life, not born into the spiritual life. It takes time and effort and patience to develop godly character. It takes time and work. You know, from time to time, I pray for patience. Let me just give you a little insight. Don't pray for patience because God will make you wait. That's what he does. How are you gonna, do you learn patience when you get everything you want right away? Of course not. So I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm just warning you ahead of time. If you pray for patience, here's what God's going to do. I can answer that prayer, and he's going to make you just wait because that's where we learn. We learn it in the process, being stretched. That's where it's developed. That's where it's formed in us. The best place to learn contentment, here's the, here's the point. The best place for you and I to learn contentment is in the middle of a place or situation that's lean, that's hard, where we don't have what we want. Now, I mentioned before that uh, years ago, most of my 20s and uh, very early 30s, I worked in banking. I was in data processing. And I was pretty successful. Uh, and it was during a time when 
interstate banking was beginning to happen and the bank I worked for, the first was buying all sorts of banks and, and it was that time where, you know, I literally changed jobs about every 18 months because every time I changed job, I got a 25, 35, 40% increase in pay. So I'm this young buck and I'm doing pretty well. I'm making lots of money and then we start to plan a church and I was bivocational for a while doing both church planning and working for the bank, which was tough, it was hard. But the day came when it was time for us to pull the trigger. And I knew, okay, God wants me in this full-time, wholehearted, wholehearted devotion that I can't give myself to the church and, and, and continue to work 45, 50 hours a week for the bank. And so uh, we pulled the trigger and I left, resigned my job, which I was making more money than I ever made in my life, and we had plenty, to take a 60, 60, 60% cut in pay overnight. And it was a struggle. It was difficult. It, it was not something that was easy for us. But that's where we learn. That's where we learn to be content. That's where we learn also, that's what we also learn, God's faithfulness. We learn it because we saw God provide again and miraculously provide for us over and over again. Contentment doesn't come, we don't learn that when we have everything. That's not where that's learned. I'm not saying it's bad to have a lot. I'm just saying it's not where contentment is learned. One of the great myths in our society today, though, is that things make you happy. That more stuff will keep you satisfied. And many uh, in our culture today buy into the materialistic worldview that if I just had fill in the blank, then I'd be happy. You realize, don't you, that commercials are designed to make you discontent? You know, I, I, just, I know some of you are like, what? Yeah, they, they're designed to make you dissatisfied. They show you something and you think, I, I gotta have that, I need that. I don't look that good, I don't, my car's not new. I'm, and here's my most recent struggle, I'll just be honest with you, is that I really want an iPhone 7, bad. And I keep arguing with my wife, you know, I know I'm a few months away from my upgrade, but, and she's like, no, she's like a rock. No, evil woman. No, no, she's not. She's actually a wise woman, and she keeps telling me, honey, just wait till you, it's time for your upgrade, then you won't have to pay. It's like, ah, oh. but you know, I watch the commercials, and I'm thinking, I got an iPhone 6S, but it's just not enough. That's what we're taught, that's what we're told in our culture, and so we're, we're discontent, that's what we're fed. But contentment, listen to me, it is not acquired through the collection of more, bigger, and better stuff. Sorry, it's not. It's developed as we learn to put our confidence in God no matter what our circumstances. Hebrews 13, five. The writer says this, keep your lives from, free from the love of money. Now, money's not the problem. The problem is the love of money. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And here it is, and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you. I will always be by your side. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God's with you. And when you got God on your side, you'll be fine. So contentment is not based on our circumstances. And the sooner we figure that out, the better. Because life is hard. You know, I, I uh, got a picture on the of a roller coaster. I used to love roller coasters. I, now, just, I, I look at this picture and I, I get a little sick just thinking about it. But I, I mean, I used to ride them all day long. I go to Magic Mountain and I would ride every roller coaster there multiple times. And I love these things. But I love this image because this is exactly the way life is. Sometimes it's slow and you're just chugging. Other times it's woo you're just flying. Other times you're upside down, you have no idea what's going on and you're, you're terrified. That's life, that's the way life is. So if we are to base our contentment on circumstances, then we're never gonna have lasting joy. And that's why God says, no, I want you to get your, your fulfillment, your contentment in me. 
See, a lot of people are like thermometers. They merely register and reflect what's happening around them. They react. Uh, they're tense you know, and, and irritable and because things are bad. Uh, when life is stormy, they're gloomy, worried, or afraid. But you know, when life is calm, then they're good. Then they're happy. Then everything's fine. And we're more like these you know, thermometers that are measuring, reacting to what's around us. When God, in fact, and I know it's a simple illustration, but it makes the point. He wants us to be thermostats. Where we're responsive to the climate rather than reactive. Where we regulate and affect the culture, the things around us, despite the highs and lows, the ups and downs. Contentment is something that's learned. and It's not based on our circumstances. One more thing. Paul gives us here what he calls the secret of being content. Verse 12, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And here it is, verse 13. I can do all this through him, through Jesus who gives me strength. Paul lands hard on the learning part. But he says, here's the secret. And number two in your outline, contentment is made possible through God's strength. How do we get there? How is it possible for you and me to actually begin to experience this? Well, it's not in our own strength. It's in the strength that God gives us. It's made possible through him. Yes, we have to learn contentment. Yes, it is a process. Yes, probably for lots of us, me included, it's going to be a lifelong journey of learning. But the strength that we need, that you and I need, so that we can become content, so that we can endure and live long enough to get there, comes from God. What was the secret Paul referred to here? It was the strength and the power that he had through Jesus, that Christ gave him. In fact, Paul discovered this not one single situation that he was asked to face in his life where he was alone. Do you know that? Do you understand there's just not one? If you have surrendered your life to Jesus, if you follow him, there's not one. Jesus said, ne the word says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus said to the disciples in the Great Commission, and lo, I'm with you always. He's there. He's with us. And Paul discovered that no matter what he faced, he could overcome it, not in his own strength and sufficiency, but in the strength and the sufficiency that he had because of Jesus. And that's why he says in very clear terms, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do everything, everything, through him who gives me strength. You see, he knew that the power of God was readily available to him, and it's readily available to you and me. Now, Paul suffered a lot. I mentioned he really went through a, a lot of difficult times, but he learned that even when life stinks and life is hard, that it's not his strength that's going to get him through it. It's not his, he was very educated, not his education, wasn't his own, you know, resources, not his money, wasn't his own abilities. He learned that the secret, and here it is, the secret to our survival is God's power. The secret to your survival on planet Earth is God's power. Don't you love the fact that everything God asks you to do, he empowers you to do? That's a good place for an amen. Thank you, Jesus. Everything he asks you to do, he empowers you to do. And by the way, if you've read the New Testament, I hope you've discovered this. There's a lot that we're asked to do. Now, I've made this clear, painfully clear, time and time again. There's nothing you can ever do to make God love you any more, any less than he already does. If you're his child, you're his kid, period. And we don't earn our salvation, period. Never going to happen. However, the Gospels and the, the epistles challenge us again and again and again to grow, to become who we are, to, to practice our faith, to put into practice what it now means to be a child of God. And the standard in the New Testament is extremely high. People say to me, well, we're not, you know, the, 
uh, I'm a new, new Testament Christian. It's all about grace. I'm under grace now. And I go, you are absolutely it's about grace. Yes, it's grace. But do you understand that because of grace, because of what God has done for us, that the challenge, the call for us now, is the standard is even higher than it was for Old Testament believers? People kind of look at me with this dumb look, and I go, yeah. Jesus said, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery. Old Testament, bad. However, he says, I say to you, if you look at a woman and lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. Is that a lower or higher standard? Good. Yeah, you got it. I can give you example after example where the New Testament challenges us not to earn our salvation, but because of it, because of what Christ has done, to step up, to move, to live. The challenge is to become like Jesus every way possible, to sound like him, talk like him, live like him, be like him, to die like him, to sacrifice like him. But Here's the good news. Let me say it one more time. Everything God asks you to do, he empowers you to do. The hope we have to become like him is because of him in our life. You see, it's my conviction that the only way you and I will ever live long enough to figure this contentment thing out is when we have his power in our life. And why do I say that? Well, because I've seen a lot of people become Christ followers, and it breaks my heart. It literally just crushes me sometimes. When I see them make a decision, they're excited in a moment. They're like, yeah, I want to believe in Jesus. Yeah, I want to get my ticket to heaven. Yeah, I want to be saved. Yeah, I want to know Christ. And then six months, a year later, five years later, I, they're gone. Because they, they became Christ followers, and they tried to do this thing called the Christian walk in their own strength and their own power. And they got frustrated and fed up and discouraged and disappointed, and they quit. They gave up because they didn't understand that it's in him, through him, by him, for him. Let me say it again. It's in him, through him, by him, for him, that we live, that we take our next breath. Anything we do for Jesus is because of Jesus. And so everything that we need, he provides. All the resources of heaven are there for us. And Paul made it clear. Paul, the great apostle Paul, writer of nearly half the New Testament, made it clear. It ain't me. It's Christ in me. It's Jesus living in me and through me. One of the most difficult things, one last story, and I'll wrap this up, that Laura and I ever went through uh, early in our marriage was uh, the birth of my oldest son, my second child, Nathan. And uh, I'll give you the gory, uh, big picture details rather than the, the minutiae, but he was born three weeks early, plenty big. My wife, we have big babies. I think our smallest was 8'10", so that's, you call those screamers. But uh, that's a joke. But anyhow, uh, you guys, boy, are you there? Just checking. Um, big babies, and he was, he was size-wise fine, but being a little early, I, I guess the liver wasn't functioning right. You know, a lot of kids have jaundice. How many of you have had kids or grandkids with jaundice? Yeah, it's not that uncommon. But, you know, my kids have always been special. If, uh, you know, if this is normal, they take it away above. So uh, he, he had jaundice, like, really bad. And they said, you know, take him home, but keep an eye on him, and if he starts looking like he's been in the Bahama for a week, you know, bring him back, and we'll test him and make sure it's okay. So I don't remember, four or five days after we'd taken him home from the hospital, my wife and I look at him, and he's got yellow eyes, and he looks like he's, you know, been sitting under the, the, the light, sun, or something. I thought, man, this isn't good. We took him to the doc, and they do that little, you know, I, 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 you know they, they poke him in the heel, and he scream bloody murder. And my wife's like, suck it up, honey. And, but I'm, it's like, good. And he's crying, and he's screaming, and they're taking the blood. And then doc comes back in, says, ah, got bad news. It's, uh, it's not good. It's going up. And we need to test him again. 
tomorrow. So we do the same thing tomorrow. And they poke him again. I said, no, nah, man, it's getting off the charts. This is really getting dangerous. I said, we want to admit him to the hospital. It was a deaconess. And I thought, oh, no parent wants to bring their kid back to the hospital. You take them home. You want to share them with the world. You don't want to bring them back. And so we had to bring them back. And because of the nature of what was going on and the care, they put him in NICU, the neo-intensive care unit, and they covered his eyes with cotton. They stripped him down naked, put him in this basically a big glass tube incubator type thing, and put these huge lights on him. They were billy lights to try and get his billy count down, and, and uh, it wasn't working. And they keep testing him. I can't tell you how many times that little boy had been poked on the heel. So many times it was just breaking my heart. And it was going higher and higher. The doc came out. And I will never forget standing out there in the hallway, glass. You know, we're looking at our son in the NICU. We're not, we can't be with him. We're on this in the hallway. The doc comes out and says, man, uh, I, we've got to do something because he could have liver damage or kidney damage or brain damage. Yeah, that's something you really want to hear. And, you know, it's getting to the point where the, the lights aren't working. We're going to have to give him a transfusion. And we, I'll never forget, we just held each other. and We just cried. We just lost it. It's like, oh, Lord. But here's the other thing I will never forget. In that moment, Doc leaves us, and we're standing there in the hallway, and we're looking at our little baby boy in this tube with all the lights around. We're realizing, you know, he, thinking, well, is he going to be damaged? Is he going to have physical issues? By the way, he didn't ever have any graduated valedictorian from high school and summa cum laude and college. I mean, like, God did amazing things, but never had any physical issues at all. But here's what we experienced. The other thing, first there was despair. We cried out to God, and then God showed up. We had this encounter with him in that hallway. He became our strength. Where we were weak, where we were despairing, where we had nothing, in that moment, Jesus wrapped his arms around us. God was our strength in those dark days. Listen to me. He wants to be yours. He wants to be yours. Some of you have been trying to do this thing on your own power. It ain't going to work. It's not enough. You need him. So how's your heart this morning? How's your heart? Is God trying to teach you the lesson of contentment and you've been resisting it and being griping and complaining about what you don't have and really what he's trying to do is help you grow? Are you living in his power or yours? Those are questions I want you to wrestle with because God has a better plan for you and he's got a great thing he wants to do in you and through you because of it. All right, so let me pray for you. Jesus, I know um, how desperate we are for you. Even when we don't realize it, it's true. We still need you. We need your strength. We need your power. We need your life in us and through us. And God, for us to grow and to become the men and women you want us to become, we'll never get there on our own. So we need you. We need your word. We need the body. We need support. We need help. And I just pray, Jesus, that you remind us this morning that we're not alone in this journey. And that even in the hard times and the struggle that some of us are facing right now, that you're there and that you want to help us become more like you and grow us, develop in us faith, trust, contentment. And so I, I pray, Lord, work deeply, profoundly in our hearts right now. Turn our hearts and our minds to you. And for some of us that are weary and we're tired and we just feel like we can't go another step, Lord, would you breathe into them your power right now? Your power that comes from you, in you, the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us because you live in us. Breathe on them, Lord, the strength they need right now. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. 
but something happened. Maybe today, maybe recently, and you realize, I, I need God. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. One of the biggest struggles for us as humans is coming to the point where we just admit we can't do it on our own. We're stubborn, independent, proud, arrogant, cocky. That's our nature. And to come to the point where we just said, I cannot get there. I cannot do this. I need God is one of the greatest struggles. And yet here's the thing. It's also one of the greatest realizations you can ever come to because that's where you cry out to Him. That's where you surrender your life to Him. When you say, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need God. That's where He meets you. That's in that moment. That's where He comes. And He changes you from the inside out. And you surrender your life to Him and admit your need. If you want to begin your life as a Christ follower today, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And what matters most is that in your heart, you just make this your cry. Make this true for you right now. In your own way, just say, yep, God, that's me as I pray this prayer. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. I need mercy. I need grace. I need help. And for a long time, I fought that reality, and I've denied that truth. But I get it. I see that I am lost without you that I need to become your child. And so I surrender my life to you. Thank you, Jesus, for surrendering your life on that cross for me. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. And right here, right now, in this moment, I say, yes, God, here I am. Take my life. Come live in me. Come change me from the inside out. I'm yours. Now, if that's you, that's what you want. In your own way, just say, yep, God, that's my heart. The Bible says the moment you say yes, the moment you surrender, you become his child. You're his forever. Lord, seal that truth, that reality now in the hearts of those saying yes to you. Whether they're here or watching online, right now, help them understand that they are your kid, your, your child, because they said yes to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're good on time. You'll be home plenty of time to see the Seahawks, I promise. But guys, I, I don't want you to miss. Some of you scoot out sometimes at this point. It's like, oh, it's dark. Let's get out of here. We're going to sing one last song. And it's a song called It Is Well. It's a, it's a modern version of an old hymn. Saying this at my grandmother's funeral. Saying this at my dad's funeral when he was 63 and passed away. Saying this at my grandson Phineas's funeral when he was, you know, uh, lived an hour on this earth. This song means a lot to me. And I'm going to ask you to make this declaration. It is well. Let's sing this together. I'll come back and wrap it up. I love the line, let go of my soul and trust in him. Sometimes it's a matter of letting go our demands, our discontents, our frustration, choosing to trust and saying, God, help me to become more like you. Today, if you uh, need prayer, you're thinking, well, I couldn't really sing that song because my guts are still you know, shredded by life. And don't go that way. Come this way. Let our prayer team pray for you. There's communion available. It's always available on both sides of the room. If you want to stop and take communion today, Remember what Jesus did for you. I want to challenge you. Uh, step up. Help with the Venture Land. There's a table right out there. Nate should be there. One of the Venture Land workers. Fill that little card out. Drop it off to him. Drop it in the box. If you missed the prayer request or the offering, you can drop it in the black boxes as well. And if you begin your life's Christ follower today, we've got a gift bag. It's by the, uh, the doors on a table in the basket there. It's got a Bible. It's material you can start and walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. We want to journey with you in this new adventure of faith. Here's my prayer for you, that you'll go this week committed to grow, committed to learn, committed to become more like him. God bless you guys. I love you. Thanks for being here. Go Seahawks.